talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome once again to more like the worst wing. A show where here in 2020, we take a look back at Aaron Sorkin's seminal television classic, The West Wing, from a bit more, a lot more, leftist socialist perspective. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And today's episode is in the fourth season. It's Privateers is the name of it. And sure enough, straight out the gate, we sort of get into, this is going to be an episode about... As Dave said before we started recording, capital W, capital I, women's issues. Yes, Um, because the title refers to Abby, who is going to a Daughters of the American Revolution party tonight to get Zoe inducted as as the newest, you know, member of the Daughters of American Revolution. Uh, Turns out someone is trying to protest her showing up because... Her claim to be a daughter of the American Revolution was that she's related to a privateer, a.k.a. a pirate for hire, (laughs) um, who helped the Americans during the Revolutionary War, as opposed to just being an actual daughter of, like, an American Revolutionary soldier um, in the official Which I don't understand. The distinction is the most technical (laughs) and the most kind of bullshit or whatever. But when you find out who's making the complaint, suddenly it all snaps into focus. Yeah, Yeah, so before we jump too far in, uh, the cold open involves Abby waking her husband up one hour later than his wake-up call. Letting him sleep in. (laughs) Yeah, because she knows that, you know, he's been having a long day, blah, 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 and they get he's into it. He's got that but MS. Yeah, 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 he's terminally ill, technically. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but the issue comes up over their breakfast that one of the women's issues that we'll be dealing with here is that there is a bill passing through Congress. It's like an omnibus bill of some For an ops bill. For an ops bill, forgive me. Yeah, and the condition of its passage is starting to revolve around one particular member of Congress whose name is Clancy Bangert. What a name. Which is just a spectacular name. What a and name. And his stipulation for his vote, or I don't know, like breaking party lines mm-hmm, or whatever, mm-hmm. is that they condition aid to individual countries based on a reinstatement of the gag rule. Yeah, that you cannot talk about uh, abortion. Yeah. Uh, so, or other family, you know, birth control or shit like that. This is obliquely referenced initially and then clarified later for people who don't know what they're talking about because those words together necessarily don't actually mean anything. However, it's come to be over the last several decades as this has become a big culture war issue that, quote unquote, the gag rule means you cannot promote or educate on the subject of abortion Mm -hmm. you can't even bring it up as some was one of someone's options so Um, this is a big bugaboo for abby and frankly for her new chief of chief of staff amy correct um as she adjusts to her new role within the west wing so a big chunk of this is it's amy's first day in the white house and Mm -hmm. that's that's given a, a significant amount of narrative focus uh she's trying to like hang pictures up on the wall and they all fall down in, like, a comedic beat. 
And at first, um, and and you wrote in your notes here, it's like, oh boy, here's the return of the Amy is clumsy storyline. <laughs> yep. Like, do we really have to keep this going? But in a nice little twist here, it's not actually that, as later on in the episode, she goes to close the door of her office and the whole door falls over. And it's like, okay, well, clearly this isn't like she, you know, she didn't install the door. Yeah. Um, so then we find out is Josh fucking with her as petty revenge for her getting the budget thing that she got in the last episode for the first lady. So, uh, he got like someone from like the army corps of engineers to like fuck around in her office, um, and unscrewed the door and shit like that. So in a sort of nice twist, it's not Amy being like clumsy, like with the fire at the luncheon thing. It's, it's Josh's petty, uh, attempts at revenge. Well, and you know, intentional or not in a, kind of battle of the sexes type comparison of the two roles, they end up sort of validating a pretty feminist take on things where it's just women are actually equally, if not more competent than men. It's just that men are continually actively sabotaging their success on, on multiple (laughs) different levels. Correct. Yeah. So she has to work twice as hard and deal with twice as many distractions because Josh is literally just trying to fucking sabotage her. Well, and they like they come in and they have a couple bants where they just go back and forth for a little while. Then I mentioned it's like they're just doing like the policy dance, just Basically. kind of a generic discussion of stuff. There isn't. I, I wrote this down specifically because it bugged me. <laughs> They, they, Josh uses a word in Yiddish, which is incorrect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, and it seems like the type of thing that Aaron Sorkin and, frankly, Bradley Whitford would be very on about. precise about. Yeah. Precisely. He's so normally committed to that precision of language sort of thing. You would think so. And obviously there's some Jews in the writing room of Hollywood, so yeah. <laughs> someone should have known this here. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's strange. Maybe it's in, the only other thing I can think of is maybe it's intentional in that Toby is always calling Josh out as being like sort of a, a New York to, to reform, you know, not very serious kind of Jew. And maybe this is Josh showing his ass a little that he doesn't even know the right Yiddish. <laughs> right Yiddish here. Cause, and I'll, I'll say it here. He's uses the word verschnicked, which means drunk. And what he's, he's trying to say for verklempt. is verklempt, which means like not like almost overcome with emotion right, or with a, yeah, upset. over oh, so upset. Exactly, a good way of put, phrasing it. Yeah, so <laughs> that's just a that funny is, little. That's, beat. A, that's a kind of a minor derail. Of Completely, but it's okay. <laughs> and then, so the main sort of climax of this particular arc about the protesting of the privateer ancestor oh, yeah, and everything. Is that we meet said complainant who is threatening the <laughs> protest. They bring her into the mural room and they're going to sit down and promise that like, oh, the first lady's going to give you some award that they're just going to BS and make up. And hopefully this will get her to just attend the party like normal and not threaten a protest and not cause a minor PR fiasco that CJ has to deal with. So said woman... <laughs> Uh, and her, so CJ sets her this up name. really early. Yeah, she it sets should this be, up early. Should be, should be given with the full quote. We're so happy that you were able to take the time to come over so we could talk this through. I'm Marion Coatsworth. Hey. <laughs> I was 
<laughs> so like CJ set this up earlier where she keeps on fucking up well, the name. First she, she tells Will. It. First she yeah. tells Will like don't laugh. Don't fucking laugh. Like you go in there you don't laugh. And the funniest thing is Will doesn't react at all. So like yeah, Sorkin likes to do this thing where he like pre-sets up the joke. So mm-hmm. like right before she goes in the room she's like, "Okay, I got to not laugh. I got to not laugh." Like and you already mentally know what's going to happen. <laughs> like but it still works even though he's like pre-spoiled the joke well, in a way it's almost like anticipation well, i would this, say this whole thing is set up too with some other really good comedy bits because like will is they're, they're talking to amy and amy comes up to them and is like it's my first day is this a hazing and Will right. was like no nah, man you know i started here six weeks ago i haven't gotten hazed at all and goes except you put olives in my jacket again and cj flat deadpan goes i did do that yes <laughs> Just and he just pulls, pulls olives out, and it's like, what? This is the most bizarre <laughs> joke in the entire fucking show. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you said, it's some Tim and Eric shit. Like, <laughs> like what is this doing in West Wing, where the jokes are more like, oh, I, you read the New Yorker, <laughs> like, yeah, like oh, and all I of a sudden we get you. some like fucking Adult yeah. Swim ass random. Like it's good. Don't get yeah. me wrong, it may, it's really good, and it, I like the way it's like underplayed totally but then also it's the most bizarre thing like why would she put olives in his chest? yeah it's really good so they go in and they have this meeting with marion coatsworth hay i'm marion coatsworth hay and like basically cj just they're, they're all introducing themselves yeah. and then cj starts to move on to the thing and that's when we get the clip of her just going i'm <laughs> as you said why do you talk that way i had a stroke yeah she's like the most uh just Waspy, i love it i love like, it she's the encapsul- accent encapsulation of all of that sort of attitude and privilege and everything you know she doesn't go anywhere that there aren't 25 doilies placed out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and that's it, it's played for comedy but it's, it's played a hundred percent for comedy but, it, but, it's but it is so well done <laughs> like this is this is very real and trust like me a, somebody yeah who, like, this is a real I, type of person is what you mean <laughs> I, I encounter these people occasionally via my family-in-law, and it's all just like, up there in the northeast, shit. you know, yeah. where where all the wasp bunny lives. Yeah, <laughs> holy shit! Yeah, they nailed they nailed it basically. So it's basically it's, they trick her and say like, "Hey, we're gonna give you we'll an award. give you the Francis Scott Key Key, key. key. <laughs> which is yeah. great." Uh, yeah, and just. Janny, Allison Janney is so, so good. I know we keep coming back to it over and over, but it needs to be said. It's so hard to laugh convincingly on TV. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, especially, like, imagine that's her 19th take of, of doing the laughter or whatever. Like, but she nails it. She nails it, and it feels so real, and she, like, laughs with her whole body, and it's like, you know, that kind of laugh you're trying to make stop, but you can't. And, like, she just nails it. It's, it's yeah. so well done. It's a great scene. And then basically, like, this this woman says, I shall strongly consider it. <laughs> right. And they're the like, thing. And, they're and like, then CJ's like, okay, great. Problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the thing that ends up, you know, they go to this party and we get Elizabeth Moss back. As yeah. Uh, Zoe. Which I want to take a quick derail here and then okay. let's just talk about Charlie and Zoe while we're here. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, she shows up to be at the Daughters of the American Revolution thing. She's the one being honored. 
so two things happen. One, we get the return of Jean-Paul. Yes, um, we do. So, and so Jean-Paul just shows us. I don't even know where Charlie is when they're having this conversation. I guess they're kind of near the Oval Office or somewhere. Like, they're somewhere at inside the desk. Way. Sure, I guess sure. the the camera angle's weird. Yeah. But yeah, let's assume they're standing near Charlie's desk basically. And he's at uh, Jean-Paul's like I'm supposed to escort Zoe to the daughter of the American Revolution Pate. <laughs> uh, where is she? And he's like Charlie's like, well, she wouldn't be at my desk, dude. She's probably at the driveway she's, she's and, arriving at the White yeah House. like she, she you know her car's coming here so she's <laughs> probably at the driveway dude not at my desk and john paul just kind of has to like ask about it a couple more times he's like uh, which uh, quick sidebar i love that he tries to say that they have too many entrances and driveways but he says there are so many entrances and driveways <laughs> and i've just i fell in love with the way he says entrances <laughs> hard french accent here. so good um so after they go a couple more rounds on this charlie's like wait a minute are you high as fuck right now? <laughs> and, and John Paul just stares <laughs> without denying. And so he's like, oh, okay, you are. <laughs> as you say, we have no choice but to stand. Someone who shows up stoned well, as fuck to the White House. And good for him. And I just, I, we talked about this before we started recording. I just remember watching this scene the first time I saw the show. Mm-hmm. I have a distinct memory of being not confused, but sort of, just curious as to why Charlie's being such a douchebag when John Paul is asking, frankly, polite, like, polite, polite questions, questions about, hey, where do I go to meet Zoe? He's basically. he's not stumbling over the furniture. He's no, not he's not really being a douchebag in any way or, or high at all. Other he's than being kind very of polite to process things, <laughs> right? Like so. it's a, it's a subtle thing. It's not like he's like knocking over the fucking china or shit stumbling around and slurring his words he's actually quite eloquent as i <laughs> you know yeah. in that way that high people are you know yeah well, and he makes <laughs> where a he picks good he points. picks the bigger words but like yeah. it's taking all of his focus just to summon them yeah. well and and then it takes charlie explicitly asking him like are you high as fuck right now he's like oh, to break the act um, right like he wasn't ready for that simple question well so and so charlie pulls pulls up a, a kind of a dick move here and tells him to go wait at the wrong entrance right so that he can then interrupt zoe which is then the second thing i wanted to mention is Mm -hmm. now charlie gets to intercept zoe and have a little conversation with her and this is uh we find out earlier in the episode or last episode maybe that she had emailed him basically saying hey knock it the fuck off i'm trying to make it work with jean paul you and i are donezo you know we're exes please stop kind of like hassling him slash pursuing me um so she emailed him about that and he goes out there to be like well i'm respectfully declining to stop pursuing you and yeah it's it's it's, in this hollywood way it's shown as very charming that he's like doggedly pursuing her even above her objections where she tells him face to face like no but really stop pursuing me he goes no respectfully and it's like this uh, it's just all this garbage about how men are taught, like, by the media that, like, this sort of thing is charming and will work in the end and isn't something that leads to a temporary restraining order. Yeah, and as I was saying before, it's if if there was a counterexample to it always working, mm-hmm. 
I would be more okay with engaging this sort of trope. But, but that's usually only played for like comedy bits. Ever. And it's yeah, if you ever see it, it isn't serious or sort of respectfully engaged with. It's always that persistence works. Like I was saying, always. <laughs> I'm watching Dawson's Creek for the first time, and there's an episode where Pacey or not Pacey, some guy just keeps calling Jen and is like, "Hey, Jen, go out with me." And she's like, "Nope," hangs up the phone, calls right back. He he does it like five times in a row. Uh. It's like. Okay, this is so, like... After after all, fellas, that's what we all want. A partner who we had to wear down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I want somebody who begrudgingly <laughs> Who begrudgingly me. finally gave in to my non-stop advances. Yeah. That's, that's the dream girl I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, shit. So, uh. <laughs> all this come, comes kind of to a head where Amy gets so upset by having to navigate sort of the intricacies of this policy proposal mm-hmm. that she just confronts Abby at this part, like in the middle of this party and goes off and says, this white house has been shitty to women. Mm-hmm. They continually compromise away what should be just sort of starting points in negotiations, mm-hmm. very democratic party of them. And Abby just kind of says, yeah, I know um we gotta deal with it (laughs) like yeah we have to deal with that and maybe save some of that energy for you know down the road (laughs) right well in in a nice comedy bit like she this whole rant gets started by abby coming up to her and being like hey amy and amy just goes off because she's just like had a fucking day listen ma'am i spent a year and a half as issues director for now two years as political director of Emily's List, founder of the Democratic Women's Forum, AA to Hope Trader, and director of the Women's Leadership Coalition. Look, excuse me, ma'am, but I beat back five anti-choice judicial nominees, got the Violence Against Women Act reauthorized with a Republican majority, and raised $22 million for House candidates. All while this White House... And then uh, Mrs. Bartlett is like, I was just going to ask how you're doing. How's your first day been going? Are you enjoying the party, perhaps? (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) But yeah, and then so at the end of the episode, it ends with Mrs. Bartlett talking to the president and basically trying to do a little politicking and explaining that, you know, all her shit ends up getting shut down and she's not happy about it. And they just, you know, Bartlett gives her this fucking pablum about like oh politics is all slow and yeah and happens in gradual increments and and you want to go into it a bit more so so he they they have this talk about how you know you need to make increment it's basically he says look incremental change is the only way that is the only change and he also so he references max weber who you know, obviously a great political mind, whatever, mm-hmm. but there's a quote that he deploys and it's that, quote, politics is a strong and slow boring of hard boards. And he stops the quote. He stops there. right there and he just makes the implication that that means that incremental incremental progress is the only way. And you, you have to try and try and try. However, the quote then continues yeah. to say, it takes both passion and perspective. Certainly all historical experience confirms the truth that man would not have attained the possible unless time and again he had reached out for the impossible. A word? Oh. <laughs> kind of like how when JFK said we will put a man on the moon, we didn't have the ability and yet we got it done. <laughs> Shit wow. like that, you know? Really, you know, aiming for the stars, quite literally. 
and not aiming for shitty incremental progress because that's all you'll get if you even get that. Well, and there's this, the, the terminus of the quote is, this is necessary right now or else men will not be able to attain even that which is possible. Yeah, and <laughs> like, here we are, the, the declining here empire, we where, we, where we can't even obtain the possible today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the, um, the, the yeah, sort of Yeah, over- words twisted completely in the opposite direction by uh, Sorkin and Bartlett. Yeah, and a complete misunderstanding of the, the import of these political thoughts. But this is sort of, I mean, Amy's right. This yeah. has been what the white house has done for women and we've seen time and again in the show that the characters who happen to be women that you know sorkin's writing of them aside are our favorite like mm-hmm. it's allison janney and i'm blanking on amy gardner's actress's name right now but um marion coatsworth hey they're, yeah, me too. They're, they're spectacular, you know, so it just kind of sucks. It's like, oh, well, shucks. Guess guess we'll work on not talking about abortion again later. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, so let's take a brief break. Um, we've been going for a long Mary time. Mary Louise Parker. Mary Louise Parker, yes, exactly. That's Amy's actress. <laughs> right on the tip of my yeah. Let's, uh <laughs> But yeah, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll discuss some other parts of this episode. And welcome back. Uh, the other main subplot that we haven't really touched on at all yet, because it takes place entirely separate from the Amy, Mrs. Bartlett, Daughters of American Revolution plot, is that a dude shows up who works for some fictional chemical company, um, and he's he's room he's old college roommates with Toby, uh, so he's dropping by Toby's office because he happens to be there for a con you know like a panel about pollution or something like that where he's gonna defend his company and say like oh no we don't pollute that much you know it's normal for kids to grow fourth nipples in (laughs) around our plant they'll be fine Uh, (laughs) stuff like that um but then as he's uh wrapping up his conversation with toby and toby kind of gives him some guff about the polluting stuff and he's like haha well yeah i'm i'm making a lot of money though so (laughs) deal with it uh and then he he circles back around to be like oh wait i should go ask about his kids to the guy he's with who's also like a fellow fellow chemical worker uh lobbyist or what have you and circles back around to toby he's like uh, Toby, I have like big incriminating evidence against the company I work for. I need federal whistleblower protection. And Toby's like, oh shit. And then, and starts the ball rolling on that and, um, gets Josh involved and gets a lawyer from the white house counsel's office. And they start, um, talking about like, okay, so what'd you find out? And he, he starts talking about the evidence and the lawyers immediately figures out like, oh, you're fucked. Did you sign off on all this yeah. shit while you were working there? <laughs> Like, you're totally <laughs> fucked. You're going to need immunity. Dude, like, you're, you're not actually blowing a whistle because you went ahead and okayed what 
you said. Yeah, like, you worked at this job for three years, okaying all this terrible stuff, and now you want to make it right, (laughs) basically. Yeah, so the actor who plays this, his name is Jeff Perry. Um, I know him from other things. He's one of these guys you've seen in other stuff. Yeah, he's a quintessential that guy, but for me, he was in Nash Bridges back in the 90s, which is like my mom's favorite show. That's definitely not what I know him from, (laughs) but it's cool. (laughs) And he played the, uh, the chief of staff guy in Scandal. Um, if you've ever watched Scandal. I've watched an episode or two of that, so maybe that's... He's got a recurring Bell, but role in that one. Yeah, he's he's one of these guys who shows up everywhere. Um, he does a really good job here. So we find out later as the, you know, then they, then they panic because now Josh and Toby are technically co-conspirators yeah. because <laughs> he told them all of this. And Toby's like, why didn't you have your own lawyer? Why didn't you just go to your own lawyer? Like, what the fuck are you doing now? We're looped in. And like, Josh has a mini, mini freak out about it too. And it, it's all kind of, it's played for laughs, but also there's some stakes behind it, I guess. Uh, yeah, but like, then we, go ahead. I, I like that it's sort of, this was one of the things where that kind of just made me go, oh, yeah, because, you know, it kind of they, they the lawyer just kind of drops it matter of factly. But if you think back to what he'd been saying and doing, it's mm-hmm. like, holy shit. Yeah. Josh and Toby could be indicted as conspirators now. Like, oh, right. no way. Fuck. Because yeah. now they know about it. And yeah. like, because, yeah, they're saying, well, OK, fine. If he doesn't get immunity, he just won't talk about it. It's like, no, you'll be compelled to talk when <laughs> yeah. you get fucking subpoenaed, bitch. <laughs> he says, let me phrase it in the way that a federal attorney will ask you. Right. Do you Did you knowingly fraudulently <laughs> sign fraudulent documents? Yeah. Uh, and then he goes, well, there was more context behind it. It's like, and he's done. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's really well done, actually. And so then they have to kind of scramble, and it's like, okay, fine, we, we leaned on the attorney general, and he's going to give you immunity. But then Toby realizes, like, this was your fucking plan all along, right? You just, you just want us to rope us into it and maybe get us like co-conspirators unless we got you immunity because you knew we'd put pressure on someone and the guy's like yeah what are you gonna do you caught me (laughs) hey that's politics (laughs) yeah so basically toby and josh get completely fucked over by this guy who who does an excellent job of basically manipulating the white house for his own personal gain yeah and i it's i don't know what toby's option would have been otherwise but you know it's actually kind of uh, uh, yeah like i think he played it fine they didn't make yeah. any like critical mistakes or whatever yeah. other than maybe get a lawyer involved in the first conversation well the uh this is very i i threw it back to when his old um i guess like his old army buddy comes and sits down and tells Leo that he's technically a war criminal. Right. Yeah, it's like, it, it is in that category of, why did you tell me that? Yeah, exactly. Now I'm in trouble. Yeah. Like, if I if I had not known about this... If, if I had just it, not met with you, my date would be going yeah. much better. Yeah. And now, yeah, it is one now of those I'm, kind of now things. I'm, like, liable or whatever, so... Right. Yeah. Uh, what's funny is Toby gets to call Josh out, because Josh is technically a lawyer. Yeah. And he's like, you didn't fucking know that we would be liable? He's like, I must have skipped that day in law school. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, That day and a lot of others, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Because all you learned how to do is become Rahm Emanuel. Good. Uh, All right. Okay. There's one more thing to cover um, in this episode, so let's take a brief break and we'll hit it. Dear companion, you're dead to me, I'm 
So the sort of cast off plot point in this one is there is a glacier that has melted in Alaska and it's flooded and actually killed a a bunch of people. It broke a natural dam and it killed like 14 people. Yeah. Yeah. Up in Alaska. And they bring it to Leo because there are national security concerns, etc. And so they're collaborating with (laughs) Russia. (laughs) <laughs> Remember when Russia wasn't the boogeyman? Oh, for that that brief time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Post fall um, of Berlin Wall, but pre uh, Putin. <laughs> yeah, like so, they they talk with Leo and Will about sort of the implications of this stuff, and they have to sort of and keep in mind this is being recorded in two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Um, Inconvenient Truth did not come out until oh six. Sure. And so, Obviously, we were aware. Well, yes, but what I'm saying is that the show has to spend time making it explicit. Ah, right. That this is related to what they call global warming because climate right. change hadn't been the term focus wasn't, yet. wasn't popular yet. Yeah, so they have to call it global warming, which in this case it is the local it's, phenomenon. Well, it's, it's always is global yeah, warming. It's always been global warming. Climate right. change is the result of like a bunch of but, fucking. It's because like it's, level. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of fucking. You know, if global warming, then why still snow in winter? <laughs> yeah. Bullshit. And so we just decided to start calling it climate change to try to cut those people off at the pass. Yeah. So the there there's a scene where they bring some experts in to to talk about what a bunch the of science nerds is. Yeah, a bunch of nerds come to the White House to talk to Leo. And holy shit, they go in and they introduce this one woman as a leading hydroclimatologist. And (laughs) Jesus Christ, Leo looks at his aide or whoever, I can't even remember who says the line and says, what's a hydroclimatologist? (laughs) Come on, dude. Leo, Leo. Leo, This is like, this is worse than the president not knowing wet works last episode. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Much, much worse. Because it's in your mind, Leo, just figure it out. You know what hydro means. (laughs) You know what climatologist means. You can put the two together in your big brain there, Leo. You're a big boy. I have faith. (laughs) Yeah. So this is actually... um, And you know what you're discussing is a glacier melting, a.k.a. water. Water. No way. (laughs) So this is actually like I zeroed in on this thing because it's surprisingly good. This woman gets two or three lines and that's it. And then we never really revisit it. Like, but it's an it's surprisingly good of the time because it's cleverly written such that she talks about it being the result of climate change. She, you know, references a couple of things. And then the biggest thing for me was that she mentions that it killed 14 people and not any spotted owls, which at the time, if you recall the nineties right. at all, it was all say, about, yeah, you know, Seminal, seminal movie of the animals. 90s, right? like um, Dumb and Dumber. Right. Um, it's the reference to like endangered species as being um, the sort of the bellwether. of yeah, environmentalism. Yeah, yeah, of environmentalism. And as so, opposed to like, oh no, this is going to kill humanity? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a clever way to sort of say, look, 
none of that shit even matters. Right. Like, you that know, is all bad, obviously. It's like, save the spotted owl or whatnot, but none of that matters because this is going to kill all the people first. <laughs> yeah. Nature it, it, will be fine once we're gone, actually. Yeah, it, it subtly sort of undermines the lib line about balancing environmental concerns with money concerns. It's like, um,. We don't need to worry about money if we're all dead. Right. You guys. Well, God, well if, o- if only people would fucking understand that. Well, so, <laughs> and then, so we also get the awful, cute, but extremely appropriate solution of, we'll just have the governor of Alaska lobby for a 25% decrease in emissions over the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we did it. We fixed climate change. Yep. Props to the big man. 25% less carbon. Bust out the we champagne, baby. We we did it. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, watching stuff like this 16 years down the road, it's just like, we, Oh, God, did this we not age well? It, well, it, it, but it's also... I it's, feel like it is appropriate, the fucking though. Thing. No, it is appropriate. This is, how, time. this is how we treat climate change. You know, some scientists show up and go, uh, Actually, guys, this is a big problem. All right, we'll take some token steps to combat it. Done. And, like... We could probably have this exact conversation 20 years in 2020. From now. Yeah, 20 years from now. We'll yeah, be having the exact too, fucking same If there's any glaciers left. Yeah, exactly. So on the one hand, it's annoying that the show doesn't tackle it better. On the other hand, this is what reality is. So good on the show for portraying it accurately, I suppose. Yeah, well, and again, before it was a a big concern in mass media, honestly, um, you know, having lived through all this stuff, the pivot away, which, again, this sort of encapsulates the pivot away from focusing on chemical pollutants and bald eagles not being able to have, like, baby birds mm-hmm. and all that stuff to focusing on the the actual gas that we breathe out is a pollutant carbon dioxide is a pollutant is one of the biggest kind of shifts or pivots Mm -hmm. in how we have addressed environmentalism because in the last you know when it becomes clear that we're not actually recycling we're just shipping waste metals and Mm -hmm. plastics to china Mm -hmm. who will figure out a way to do it and all that is energy intensive it's an incredibly drastic pivot to treat the production of energy and the usage of fossil fuels in itself as a polluting process. Right. As opposed to just something that you can, you know, turn down the emissions knob on. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just tweak some dials and then everything will be fine. Yep. Yeah. But uh, turns out it hasn't been fine. No, it turns out we need much, much, much bigger change than that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that pretty much does it for this episode. Uh, thank you as always for listening We appreciate your listens, your comments, your feedback uh, on either of our threads. Or if you found the show another way, you can always email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is always nice. And we thank you again for listening. Uh, Hope everyone is, uh, tonight is the first night of Hanukkah. If you are Jewish, such Mm. as myself, happy Hanukkah. Hag Sameach. And the rest of you, we hope you enjoy your holiday season. Everybody stay safe. It's going to be a rough one. A hell of a winter. Um, yeah. Yeah. So stay yeah. safe stay out safe, there. Be well. Stay bundled and up. We'll catch you next week. And stay warm. Enjoy, everyone. Bye bye. All the money you ask for. But don't ask me to come on along. So love me, love me, love me.
in Coatsworth Hay. <laughs> <laughs>